Hello everyone, this week on TikTok and Instagram, we talked about five disturbing Craigslist horror stories that I honestly think should be wiped from our memory. Today's agenda consists of a more in-depth, deep dive on those five Craigslist horror stories, as well as my controversial take on three other stories that are currently happening in today's world. Um, the first thing being the Panera Charged Lemonade that killed a college student. Second thing being the Inquisitor situation, who was a TikToker that unalived themselves on TikTok Live, and this lady. I will also be doing my horror movie of the week. I honestly didn't plan on doing this, but I watched a really good scary movie a couple weeks ago, and I've been dying to talk about it. I don't know what satisfaction I get from talking about horror movies, but whenever I tell somebody a story about a movie that I watched that honestly disturbed me, it, just, it feels so good. It feels so good to talk to people about that. And even if five people watch this, I want the five people watching this to know that you should watch this movie. So stick around to the end and I'll be telling you guys more about the movie and what it's about. Starting off with the Craigslist stories, number one, a job you couldn't deny. In 2011, 52-year-old Richard Beasley and 16-year-old Brogan Rafferty had made a Craigslist ad stating, quote, we need someone to watch our farm down in southern Ohio, live for free in a double-wide trailer, nothing in the way of duties except to take in the peacefulness of the countryside and remark on the changing of the seasons, and make sure no one steals any farm equipment or perpetrates any mischief. The pay is $300 a week. Right off the bat with that Craigslist ad, the first thing that would pop into my mind is, okay, what's the catch? Because it seems to be too easy of a job to be not only getting paid $300 a week, week, which is $1,200 a month, live for free, and just be sitting on a property to sit back and relax. Like, that seems too cushy of a job unless this is like a multi-millionaire that's posting the Craigslist ad. I'm not sure if Brogan and Richard had posed as a millionaire that just needs someone to take care of the farm like a stay-at-home maid in a way. It just seems very red flaggy in my eyes. Apparently, Richard was a preacher and Brogan, the 16-year-old, had a really crappy hand of cards that was dealt to him. His mother was a heroin addict and his father worked the morning shift. So from what other reports state, Brogan basically was in charge of raising himself and that is where he met Richard and Richard kind of was more of a mentor, though he told people that Brogan was his nephew and he was his uncle, which was 100% false. Out of the hundreds of men that applied for the Craigslist ad, they hired four people. And I know what you're thinking, did the ad say that there was going to be four people living in the double wide trailer? No, it did not, because they did not intend to have four people living in the double wide trailer. The first person hired was 47-year-old Timothy Kern. Out of the four men chosen for the job, it appeared they all had something in common. All four of them had appeared to be on the downward slope of life and and on their way, if they've not already hit it, rock bottom. The other three men were 56-year-old Ralph Greger, 51-year-old David Pauly, and 48-year-old Scott Davis. Out of all four of these men, only Scott Davis was the one that survived. Richard and Brogan would tell these guys after they hired them to bring all of their belongings and get in their truck and they would drive them safely to the farm where they would be residing to keep watch of the property. After they arrived in the dark forest, either Richard or Brogan would shoot and unalive each man. After their body was buried in a shallow grave, the pair would take all their belongings that the person brought with them and either sell them or keep them for themselves. On October 9th, 2011, 48-year-old Scott Davis saw the same Craigslist ad claiming a homeowner would pay someone $300 a week and give them a place to stay, and he applied. To his surprise, they accepted his interview and said that he would be able 
able to live on the farm. Richard and Brogan met up with Scott at a restaurant for an interview and offered to drive him to the farm and he accepted. From what Scott told reporters, the drive to the farm was pretty normal, nothing seemed to be suspicious. Once they got to the farm, they claimed that they had to do a little walking to get to the property because there was no road that led to the said double wide trailer. As they were walking through the forest, that is when Richard shot Scott on the shoulder. When Scott hit the ground, they fired a few more shots thinking that they all struck Scott, but they missed. At this point, the pair thought that Scott was now deceased because he wasn't moving, but he was actually just playing dead. After they left the area, he crawled for hours, and I, I cannot even imagine how brutal the pain it would have been to just being shot in the shoulder and now relying to crawl to safety through the thick forest. I just, I can't imagine i can't fathom how painful that would have been from what reports say he was able to reach police safely and survived got medical help etc because richard and brogan had planned to continue their killing with people the ad on craigslist was still alive so scott was able to be like that was the ad right there and through the ip address they were able to trace it back to richard and brogan and they were later arrested in 2013 richard was sentenced to death and brogan was tried as an adult and was sentenced to life in prison first First things first, I know Craigslist is not really a thing anymore and if so, like not that many people use it because there have been so many Craigslist horror stories that have came out. The new Craigslist in a disguise I believe is Facebook Marketplace. I feel that we need to be very careful when it comes to responding to Facebook Marketplace ads. For me personally, I sold some workout equipment. I met in public because I do not want someone coming to my apartment or I don't wanna be going to someone's house that I don't know because nine times out of 10, I feel like people, when they respond to Facebook Marketplace ads, they go alone. I do not recommend responding to Facebook Marketplace ads that are like, come to my house, especially at like 10 o'clock at night after the sunset. Bye, I'm not doing that. There's also more controversy with Brogan and Richard. The main fact is, is Brogan was 16 years old at the crime and he was tried as an adult. I also briefly mentioned that he had been dealt a pretty crappy hand of cards. Um, his mom was a heroin addict, his dad worked first shift, he had to raise himself basically. With all of that being said, people s speculate that Richard may have uh, essayed Brogan. I'm not too sure how true that is, but there have been a lot of reports stating that Richard very well could have uh, essually manipulated Brogan, and if it wasn't even school, he could have very well just manipulated Brogan. He's 16 years old. He doesn't have his brain fully developed to where he can discern if someone's being honest or what their true intentions are. So there's been a lot of controversy whether Brogan should have received life in prison. Regardless, he did receive life in prison without the possibility of a parole. But I genuinely want to know what you have to think about that. Let me know in the comments. Moving on to number two, the story of Michael Anderson. In Savage, Minnesota, a mother named Amy Anderson posted a Craigslist ad in 2007 claiming she needed a babysitter the following day as she wanted to have the day off from her son. Catherine Olson, who was a recent college graduate, jumped on this opportunity to make some extra cash. Especially when you're freshly out of college, like myself a year ago, I had no money. So... Any side gigs that you can get your hands on to make some extra cash to go to the movies or just have some extra spending money or maybe in Catherine's case to pay off student loans, she was going to take it and that's what she did. She arrived at the home the following morning and Amy was not the person that answered the front door. It was 19 year old Michael John Anderson appearing to be much younger than he actually was. When she got there and realized it wasn't Amy that answered the door, apparently Michael just said that his mom had already left and 
she's supposed to take care of him. It is unsure when or what, but after she entered the home, something spooked Catherine, leading her to run out of the house. Before she could make it to the front door, Michael had shot her in the back, causing her to pass away. He then dragged her body into the trunk of his car in broad daylight, drove a few miles down the road, abandoned the vehicle, and went back home. He destroyed her phone, hoping to destroy any signal it could provide police when figuring out where she was, and he wrapped it in a bloody towel with his name on it. Like, the towel that he wrapped the phone into that was also bloody had the name Anderson on the towel. It's kind of funny at this point, because how dumb do you have to be to know that, hey, there's a piece of evidence, the bloody towel, and it has the name Anderson on it. With that being said, police quickly pieced the towel back to the Anderson residence and found that Michael Anderson was responsible for this brutal crime. One thing that's really interesting is while Michael was going through trial, his lawyers claimed that the reason why Michael acted out in violence was because he suffered with Asperger's syndrome. For those of you not familiar with the disease, it's basically a developmental disorder and when it is found in children, they have trouble in social situations and can have a difficult time understanding normal body language or cues like humor, sarcasm, those type of things they have a hard time understanding. There's no evidence showing that that will cause them to react in violent nature. According to WTSglobal.com, they write, quote, most individuals with this disability are neither violent nor criminal, end quote. Being that their lawyer's case of him having Asperger's syndrome was not a very plausible argument, the court dropped that and he received life in prison. I really want to talk about not only how crazy it is for someone to take an innocent person's life but on the flip side Michael was literally 19 years old and received life in prison that's about 50 years at minimum that he would be in prison because I'm not sure how long he's gonna live for so it's really interesting to see that someone who's 19 years old that went to school for a majority of their life just finished high school and now threw their entire future away to where now they're going to be locked in a cold cell maybe michael just wasn't thinking clearly before he committed the crime or didn't realize that actions have consequences whether it be good or bad consequences and then that really got me thinking about would i rather get the sentence or would I rather spend life in prison if I was 19 years old and was going to be in jail the rest of my life because I feel like death is one of those things that it's you know instant and you are able to be done with like like your punishment is done at that point when you die but when you're in prison for the rest of your life that's 50 years you have to sit and think about what you did and the reasoning why you're there. What do you think would be worse? But moving on to number three, Michelle Wilkins. You're probably expecting true crime stories to be disturbing, so you're already aware of what you're getting yourself into. But just in case, I want to warn you that this story is extremely dark, so please listen to this with caution and buckle up because it's it's a dark one on march 18th 2015 michelle wilkins who was seven months pregnant responded to a craigslist ad claiming that someone was selling baby clothes in boulder county colorado she arrived at danelle lane's home where they talked for a couple hours about her pregnancy at around 1 p.m danelle asked michelle to go into the basement to check out the baby clothes on their way down that is when danelle attacked her and i could go through you know moment by moment as to what happened but i really like the way that the person in court describes it so here's the video now where she hit her over the head with a lava lamp remember lava lamp get her over the head with a lava lamp which broke in a thick glass she took a piece of the lava lamp and stabbed michelle in the neck with it and as blood was splurting from Michelle's neck, she choked her, pushed her down on the bed, 
held a pillow over her until she was unconscious, and then using two different knives, cut her abdomen, cut Aurora, the baby out. Aurora by then was dead, and carried Aurora upstairs and laid her dead in the bathtub. At this point, Michelle passed out due to the large amount of pain she was in, and Danelle believed that she had successfully taken Michelle's life. At that moment, Danelle cut and removed her baby that was alive from her stomach and put the baby in a bathtub. It is believed that when she cut Michelle's child from her stomach, that is when the baby passed away. To everyone's shock, Michelle survived the attack, though the baby did not. And I really want to say how much of a boss Michelle was. Not only did she survive this and make a full recovery from being in the neck and a baby cut out from her stomach but she testified against Danelle in court so not only did she have the physical strength but she also shows that she has the mental strength she testified in court against Danelle which I truly believe is the reasoning why she received 100 years in prison and let's be honest that's basically a life sentence what was one of those things that just made my eyes roll so far in the back of my head that I could see the cobwebs on my brain was as the judge was giving her 100 years in prison the camera zoomed in on Danelle's face where tears were dwelling in her eyes and she was just crying like Boo-hoo. I don't care how sad she is. She deserves 100 years in prison. You take a life, you deserve life. I've said that from the start of this podcast. I'm a firm believer in that. If you are mentally there and you take someone's life, you better be fully equipped to receive nothing but life in prison. If there's one thing that I will gladly do, it's make fun of people who have brutally committed murder. I'm also very curious as to if anyone is familiar with the term of survivor's guilt. I did a little research and on centerstone.org, they state, quote, Survivor's guilt is a response to an event in which someone else experienced loss, but you did not, end quote. I feel that Michelle's case could very much so be an example of this guilt that people feel after something so heinous has occurred in their life. Michelle survived, but her baby inside did not. And I'm very curious to know if Michelle's experienced survivor's guilt. I know so many people like in school shootings, there have been survivor guilt where you know, students have survived and their friends did not and they feel guilty as if it should have been them and not their friend that passed away. So I'm very curious, um, do you guys think that Michelle is at grounds of experiencing survivor's guilt for being the one that survived and her baby not? Number four, Diane Warwick, and this one's pretty short considering there's not a lot of information, but what we do know is by the year of 1988, she had robbed a bank Nine years later, she then went to a drug rehabilitation center where she was holding two weapons and demanding pills. Both times she was arrested, but both times she was also released. Thankfully, she didn't take anyone's life up until that point. What happens next is kind of one of those things where I'm like, why did y'all release her from jail? In June of 2010, Diane responded to a Craigslist ad asking for someone to take care of 70-year-old Mary Jane Scanlon in Pleasant Hill, California. Mary Jane was confined in a wheelchair and needed help doing daily duties such as eating, bathing, you get the gist. Diane worked as her caretaker until something in her snapped and she slabbed Mary Jane to death. She was arrested and told the court that she had hallucinated and mistook Mary Jane as her biological father, which led her to stab the innocent woman. It is unsure if she had concrete medical conditions, but I feel like the average Joe or Jane does not hallucinate someone to be a 
person that has affected them so negatively that they feel the need to kill them. I don't know her backstory. She might have a ton of trauma surrounding her father, but regardless, hallucinating a person that is not actually there is crazy to me. It honestly reminds me of the Greyhound bus killer um, where Vincent uh, Weigling Lee had hallucinated the passenger sitting beside him on the bus to be a demon, and that led him to the person who was 100% innocent multiple times, and Vincent even went as far as decapitating him. I have a full story on the Greyhound bus killer in a separate video. If you're interested in that, feel free to give it a watch. But it reminds me of that, so I'm curious if she might have some form of schizophrenia, though people with schizophrenia don't normally act out in violence. It's just interesting to see the parallel with that. What is crazy is despite Diane being 57 years old, she was only given 31 years in prison. I know the chances of her living to be 88 years old are slim, but let's be honest, with our luck and with her luck, she's probably going to survive to be old. It's always There's always that saying that says that people who are mean tend to live longer than people who are nice. I feel like Diane is going to live past 88 years old. With that being said, she is going to be released in 19 years. Also, I'm not saying that Diane is going to be violent when she's 88 years old, but I'm not going to put her age past her, especially considering that last week I talked about a guy who was 100 years old and now holds the title of the oldest man to commit murder. Age is just a number, right? <laughs> Moving on to number five, Miranda Barber. To give a little sneak peek as to who she was, she had joined a satanic cult became addicted to H and participated in her first unaliving all by the age of 13 years old. At 13, I would literally wake up, play Minecraft through the entire day until I went to sleep. Like that's how I spent my 13 year old years in childhood. Joining a satanic cult was far from my agenda. I probably didn't even know what a satanic cult was at that point. On November 1st in 2013, then 18-year-old Miranda had posted a Craigslist ad where she was looking for, quote, men who hated their wives. 42-year-old Troy LaFera responded and they met on November 11th, 2013. There, Miranda sat in the driver's seat while her husband Elliot hid under a blanket in the back seat. Troy got in the car and the couple chatted for a few minutes until Miranda said, quote, Did you see the stars tonight? End quote, which was the signal for Elliot to act. He jumped up, put a cord around Troy's neck while Miranda slabbed him in the stomach until he was no more. They then dumped his body and went out to dinner to celebrate. Once they located Troy's body and his phone, they found that his phone records showed that Miranda was the last person that he texted, so they were able to quickly piece it together that Miranda and Elliot were responsible for Troy's death. When police arrested and interrogated Miranda, she confessed to not only unaliving Troy, but 21 other people. She told investigators that she was like the character Dexter, who only took people's lives that were deserving of it, like killing the criminals. What is interesting is shortly after her arrest, her family went on to Dr. Phil and they believed that she is 100% lying about taking 22 people's lives. And I really want to challenge that idea of her lying. Part of me wants to think, how messed up mentally do you have to be to not only take someone's life, but then lie saying that you took 21 other people's lives. But on the flip side, how mentally unstable do you have to be to take someone's life in general? So part of me thinks that she could be lying and she just wanted to say that she killed 21 people so she can get the term of serial killer because that is what people refer to her as now as the serial killer that is a great value version of Dexter who reportedly killed criminal people. But the 21 people that she allegedly killed have not really 
came to the media's notice like we don't know who the other 21 people are and if so it wasn't at the top of my research needless to say they were both arrested and given life in prison and those are the five craigslist horror stories that i wanted to talk about today at a more in-depth deep dive like i said tiktok only allows me to go so far and i can only say so much on tiktok and instagram so i feel like i have more freedom on youtube and spotify Here are the three controversial things that I think should be considered a crime, especially because all three of these things have really like struck me hard. Like I cannot stop thinking about it, especially when I'm going to bed, I'm just laying there like, why has nothing been done? The first thing that's really bothered me is the whole Panera's charged lemonade situation. For those of you who don't know, a 21 year old college student named Sarah Katz had passed away due to drinking a charged lemonade and it affected her heart condition. It happened in September of this year and there has been a lot of backlash claiming that she should have known not to drink caffeine with having a heart condition. And me personally, I have a heart condition and I'm literally drinking coffee right now, but actually this coffee's from Panera, which is kind of bad because I'm supporting them while talking about how bad of a company they are in my eyes. Um, keep in mind this is all alleged because it's so recent, but she received so much backlash considering that she had a heart condition and shouldn't be drinking caffeine, but let me just tell you one thing about this drink is a large cup of charged lemonade has 390 milligrams of caffeine and one cup of coffee, one single cup of coffee only has 95 grams of caffeine. When I finish this cup of coffee, I'm literally like holding the drink and I'm like, <laughs> like it's it makes me jittery and that's just with one cup of coffee granted i don't drink coffee you know every day but i do drink it whenever i'm going to record so i can be alive you know but the the one cup of coffee like one large cup of charged lemonade is equivalent to over four cups of coffee that should not be normal that's so crazy i used to drink the bang energy drinks and I could only drink one third of the drink before I was literally shaking so bad I was gonna fall over. Like, I just, I couldn't handle it. I've heard of the charged lemonades and I was actually interested in drinking the charged lemonade because my friend was like, those charged lemonades, they really do it. And I'm like, okay, I wanna try it. I'm so glad I didn't because I very well could have done the same thing as Sarah Katz. And the fact that people are giving her backlash because saying she should have known better there's no warning label on these drinks saying, hey, if you have a heart condition, don't drink caffeine. I never knew that caffeine affected heart conditions. I never knew that I had to drink it responsibly. And it's not because I'm just like not knowing, it's because they don't put labels on these things. And I honestly think that 390 milligrams of caffeine for a large drink of the charged lemonade is overkill and that they should honestly, if they can, lower the milligrams of caffeine in that or just get rid of the drink altogether. But when I went to good old Panera today, I saw on there that they now still have the charged lemonade, but there's a sign that's like a warning label, like warning, charged lemonades may affect you negatively, like drink responsibly, like it's some type of alcohol. And it's so crazy, like the idea of caffeine, because I'm curious to argue if I can argue that caffeine is just a socially acceptable drug. Like whenever I drink a lot of caffeine, I get so jittery, but I'm so energized and motivated to get my work done. But there have been times where I got in the habit of drinking coffee every single day. And the day that I didn't drink coffee after having that new routine, I had a killer headache. Like I had physical withdrawals. So why are we 
drinking caffeine and like normalizing it. And another thing, like I realized the other day, which it might be stupid that I'm just not realizing it, but Coke has caffeine in it. Uh, Diet Coke has caffeine in it. And it's, I know there's like caffeine free drinks, but I never, I thought that the reason why my mom wouldn't let me drink soda whenever I was younger was because of the sugar. It was going to rot your teeth, like that kind of bull crap. But I genuinely think it's because soda has caffeine in it as well. And a child should not be drinking caffeine. We have natural energy that we get when we're a child. It's just, it's mind boggling. And I genuinely feel that Panera should be held at a standard. And I'm pretty sure Sarah Katz's family is suing Panera for $100,000, but I think a human life is worth way more than just $100,000. And it's not even said whether they won this lawsuit or not. And I really want to know what you guys have to think about this whole Sarah Katz, uh, the Panera charge lemonade situation. Do you think that she's at fault? Because I genuinely do not think that she's at fault. Moving on, because I could sit here and get on my soapbox for hours. Moving on to number two, the entire Inquisitor situation. For those of you who don't know, Inquisitor is a cosplay TikToker. Um, I believe he cosplays Black Ops and it's known as Ghostface? Ghostface? Something along the lines of that. He basically cosplays the masked men off of Call of Duty Black Ops. Needless to say, he hired a girl named AJ to edit his videos and when she would send him over the videos that she edited for him, he would just reply back like, I love you so much, like you're amazing. In one pair of eyes, you might interpret that as him flirting with her. And in another one, you might interpret that as him just being nice. And I'm not saying that he was just being nice. And I'm also not saying that he was flirting with her because I genuinely don't know his intentions. And there have been some uh, TikTokers that I've talked about this case. And they've said that as soon as he found out that AJ was 17 years old, because let me also mention that flirting with someone is harmless. But when you add that he was 23 and she's 17, that's when you kind of are like, okay, you definitely should not be flirting with someone who's underage. Apparently, whenever he found out that she was 17 years old, he cut off all communication and she later stopped editing videos for him anyways. However, now whenever she turned 18, something in her sparked, I guess, and she wanted to expose Inquisitor for flirting with her. Her, her boyfriend, and a TikToker that was pretty well known allegedly all participated in exposing Inquisitor for being a P3DO. What's interesting is AJ realized that the screenshots she had of Inquisitor allegedly flirting with her was not really that much evidence so she wanted to get more even though she was now 18 years old and she then reached out to inquisitor and was very obvious with her flirting and each time he was like no i'm not interested i'm not sure if he was just like genuinely not interested or if he knew that it was wrong or wasn't sure if she was 18 yet um Either way, he didn't entertain the fact of her flirting, but AJ still wanted to expose him. I don't know if it was, if she was going to gain something from this or if she had another idea if this was going to start her fame. Kind of like the Colleen Ballinger situation. A lot of the people that exposed Colleen Ballinger now have a pretty good following. I 100% think Colleen Ballinger should be held accountable for what she done, she has done. But it's interesting to see that people have gained from her getting canceled. That could be why AJ decided to do this. I'm not 100% sure, but regardless, AJ sent the screenshots over to the TikToker. Um, and also, I'm not going to be naming the people. I'm only saying AJ because it's a pretty normal name. And her boyfriend, I'm not giving a name. Neither am I also naming the TikToker because I don't want people to get bullied more than they already are. They already 
by the end of this story, you'll know that they got a lot of hate and their lives have changed. So the TikToker then exposed to all of her followers, Inquisitor being a P3DO, and he received a lot of hate. He was 100% canceled and people were calling him, you know, sick, twisted, all of this stuff. And one day Inquisitor went onto TikTok live and unalived himself. He took his own life on live stream while thousands of people were watching it unfold. Since the incident, AJ's boyfriend has spoken out saying that his intentions were not for Inquisitor to take his own life, understandably so, because I don't think anyone wants someone to take their own life from getting canceled. I think it's one of those things, cancel culture provides people the time to reflect on what they had done. But the whole idea of cancel culture is very black and white for me. I don't know if that's the right term. It's very 50-50. There's some times that I feel that people should be getting canceled for what they do. Uh, you know, in terms of racism, uh, terms of pedophile or P3DO, sorry. Those are times where you need to be like, look, you have some issues you need to resolve. You need to get those figured out. But then there's times like this situation where it's kind of still up in the air. We're not 100% sure if Inquisitor had uh, P3DO intentions to, you know, groom AJ. People still hated on him so much so that led him to take his own life. Cancel culture should be more of a thing of this person did something so bad that I'm going to just stop watching their content. I'm going to stop supporting them. And I think that cancel culture is now a, well, we're going to bully them until the trend of bullying them dies out or they produce a apology video. And even when they produce the apology video, we're going to still hate on them because that's just what everyone's doing. Now, there are there have been times where people like Colleen Ballinger, I keep bringing her up because her apology video broke the scale when it comes to bad apology videos. Uh, the ukulele, it just shows how unsincere she was and how she's not really taking what she did seriously. So those are times where I'm like, okay, like that's pretty messed up. You need to take accountability for what you did. Do I think that these three individuals should be held accountable? Yes, I think that People should realize that if you're going to, if you have a platform and you're going to expose someone for something that you have two screenshots over, you need to make sure that you have more evidence than just two screenshots that could very well ruin someone's life. Ruin it. You know, if Inquisitor did not take his own life, his career was ruined after that point. People saw him in the lens of being a P3DO and it's just, you need to realize that when you cancel someone on TikTok, your voice has power. What you say has power to change and alter someone's life for the good or for the bad. And I'm aware of that as well. I mean, there's been multiple times where I've talked about a story and I've realized, hey, I probably shouldn't be talking about this anymore. Um, I interviewed, well, I probably shouldn't say that one. I interviewed someone a while, uh, a few months ago that claimed they were innocent in a crime and after further digging of myself, and I had posted the interview to my YouTube and all that stuff and TikTok and all that good stuff, but after a while, I realized for myself that I don't think that they were as innocent as they claimed to be, so I took those videos down. I also provide a space for people to reach out to me on email and be like, hey, you talked about a case a few months ago regarding my family member or brother, sister, etc. Can you take it down? I will 100% take it down. I don't care if I'm, I don't care. I'm just going to take it down. Like I realize that these are real people I'm talking about and these are sensitive subjects. And if you don't want to talk about, if you don't want me to talk about your family, I totally understand that. And my camera is about to die. So I need to 
hurry this up. Moral of the story, delete Craigslist, drink caffeine responsibly, um, and don't bully people. The movie of the week that you should 100% watch is Climax. It is a psychological horror movie. It's not sponsored. I just really enjoyed the movie. It's a really good watch. Highly recommend it. Super scary, but also super entertaining. I just, there are so many different things you could watch. Like I've watched it two times already and I'm still finding like, if I watched it a third time, there'd be more things I could view on because there's just so much happening all at once. That's all I wanted to talk about today. Uh, this is the first episode of my weekly podcast. Oh! So that being said, next Friday at 9 o'clock a.m. Eastern Standard Time, there will be another video where I will be talking about TikTok accounts that have now turned into crime scenes. Yeah, so buckle up for that one because that's going to be a really interesting video. Without further ado, I will see you guys next Friday at 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time and stay safe.